You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Here is a sample of the great shows airing this week. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. Join me this week. I'll be speaking with Dr. Mary Daly. We'll be talking about BRCA gene mutations, implications for men and women. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. Join me this week on the Clinician's Roundtable with Dr. Charles Vanderhorst from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and we'll be discussing HIV research dollars. And this is Dr. Lee Friedman. Please join me this week on Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania when Dr. Keith Flaherty will describe for us new understandings in the molecular biology of cancers that will lead to major breakthroughs in treatment. Listen all month to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For our complete weekly guest and program guide, and to send us your comments, visit us at ReachMD.com. Breast cancer. Those are two words your patients don't want to hear, and news that you don't want to deliver. Unfortunately for one in eight American women, it's a truth they'll have to face in their lifetime. And the risks are clear. Besides being female, the two major risk factors for developing breast cancer are advancing age and family history. In fact, about 80% of women diagnosed with invasive breast cancer are age 50 and older. And while family history of the disease is an important risk factor, up to 80% of women diagnosed with breast cancer don't have one. Unfortunately, many women still have misperceptions about who is at risk. They think, I don't have a family history of breast cancer, so I don't need to worry. My mom had breast cancer, but I'm only 43. The good news is that with early detection, we can try to reduce the risk of breast cancer mortality. Through awareness and education, we hope to improve patients' willingness to be screened for breast cancer. To help in this effort, Lilly has created the Strength in Knowing Breast Cancer Awareness Program and website. It's designed to educate women about their individual risks and provide a means for them to share this knowledge with others. At strengthinknowing.com, women can hear from professionals as they discuss the importance of knowing the risks of breast cancer, find out about events they can attend in their city, and help spread the message. The resources may also be helpful to you and your practice. There is strength in knowing about the risks of breast cancer. So spread the word today. Visit strengthinknowing.com and tell your patients to visit too. I didn't realize I was at risk until I visited. I told my sister, my mother, and my aunt. This program is sponsored by Eli Lilly and Company. Answers that matter. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly. Your host is Dr. Lawrence Stryker, Assistant Clinical Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine. One would think that a consensus among 100 people about anything would be a rare event. Certainly, it would seem even less likely that a group of physicians would agree on clinical management in a given scenario. Having said that, every physician wonders at some point, what would a colleague do in this situation? Realistically, most physicians have little or no opportunity to poll 100 experts on a specific topic. Today, we are joined by Dr. Michael Corrin, the director of the Jacksonville Center for Clinical Research in Jacksonville, Florida, 
and the director of non-interventional cardiology at Memorial Hospital in Jacksonville, Florida, to discuss Ask 100 Doctors, a web-based technology that enables nearly instant access to the consensus opinion of a national panel of board-certified physicians. Welcome, Dr. Corin. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So what exactly is Ask 100 Doctors, and how does it work? Ask 100 Doctors is the opportunity to ask a group of physicians across the country any type of scenario that you might be interested in. And uh, so far, people have used this to ask clinical questions of physicians. Certain companies have used this to post uh, cases looking at market research questions, or folks from the media have used the system to pose controversial issues that may have public health significance. Who would you describe as the primary user? I would say that physicians are the the primary user at this point. The way the system works is that there is a structured interface to allow us to ask questions, and the questions can be asked in a multiple-choice format, but also give the physicians the opportunity to respond in a blog-like manner, so they have the opportunity to put free-form comments after the multiple-choice questions. And for most cases, we're immediately publishing the results of these surveys, which is of very keen interest to our physician community. Now, when you say immediately, do you mean within a matter of minutes someone could get an answer to their query? Every case that's posted will update in real time. So as soon as a physician is finished providing his or her opinion, that is updated on the website. And as far as getting 100 answers in a typical case that's sent to a broad spectrum of different types of physicians, we've had complete 100 physician surveys completed within three or four hours. Mm -hmm. Now, clearly, consumerism is rampant in this country, particularly when it comes to healthcare trends. So where do you see Ask 100 Doctors fitting into consumer empowerment? And that's a great point. Consumer empowerment is really the buzzword that we're hearing over and over from managed care players, from physicians, and of course, from patients themselves. And what we see consumer empowerment meaning in a tangible manner is the ability of patients to sort of weed through all the information, sometimes discrepant information that's out there, and helping them making their own decisions in an informed way that's free of commercial bias. And and the way our our system works is that it gives uh, patients and physicians, of course, the insider edge, if you will. So patients, for example, can look at the website and see how physicians en masse are responding to a controversial issue. And it could be many different things. It could be in women's health, of course. It could be in cardiology. It could be in in multiple different areas. But you post a question, and then you can see exactly what percentage of physicians would choose this particular therapy versus that particular therapy, or which physicians would choose this diagnostic test versus that diagnostic test. So there's a real sense of proportion and a real sense of whether or not a consensus exists for any particular question. Now, I imagine that this doesn't come cheap for the patient, that obviously this is something they need to pay for. Roughly, what are the costs to the patient who wants a particular question answered? Well, we've been sensitive to the issue of cost. We've tried to create a scaled access to the system. So, for example, the average consumer can get access to the site for just $100 per year, and they'll they'll be able to witness all the posted questions that have been answered by our panel of board-certified physicians across the country. It would also seem that insurance companies would be very interested to know how someone would manage a particular clinical scenario. Have you had any interest from them? Oh, very much so, very much so. Getting to your question of access, a corporate membership would be a higher access point in terms of the cost. And what the corporate members would then be able to get is a little bit more information about the background of the physicians that answer the question without actually identifying the physicians by name. So, for example, if an insurance company may be interested in knowing, do primary care physicians do things differently than orthopedists when it comes to treating certain issues? And we can give the managed care players that 
particular type of information. Or we had a recent scenario, for example, where people were interested to see whether or not there were different patterns of using heart catheterizations in different parts of the country. And we were able to show that, in fact, there is a fairly significant difference in the utilization of that technology. Now, I would imagine the other group that would be very interested in your data are the pharmaceutical companies. Can you tell me a little bit about their involvement? Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, pharmaceutical companies spend a lot of money looking at uh, physician patterns of prescribing different drugs. And there have been quite a few questions posed looking at the challenge of generics. When do physicians order proprietary drugs versus generics? What is the value proposition of proprietary drugs versus generics in multiple different circumstances? Do primary care physicians uh, prescribe certain drugs or those type of drugs prescribed principally by, uh, by specialists? So we've had multiple, multiple questions that have been posed by pharmaceutical companies looking at these and other issues. Now, how do you obtain your physician panel? Is someone is interested in being on the panels, do they contact you, or do you find that you're contacting physicians that you think are qualified? Well, we started through internal networking. My background is I'm a clinical trialist. And because of my experience in clinical trials, I've gotten to know quite a few of the thought-leading physicians around the country. And they were the first group of physicians to participate in this initiative. And then by word of mouth, uh, people have recommended other qualified physicians. And now we have a panel of 10,000 physicians around the country who are board certified that are willing to accept these email surveys to answer different scenarios and address different controversial issues. Dr. Corn, before we get to some specific examples, I'm curious, are you finding that for most clinical scenarios, there is a consensus, or is it all over the map? It is all over the map, Lauren. It's one of the things that is very difficult for the average patient to understand. This is actually the downside of the whole consumer empowerment movement. People are used to going to a physician that they trust and hearing an opinion and assuming that that's God's word coming down from on high. But in fact, as we all know, physicians have different opinions and physicians interpret different scenarios in different ways. So what we're finding is that there are some cases where there's extraordinarily strong consensus among docs. In other cases, it's all over the map. There's some situations where physicians just do not agree on the way they would handle certain circumstances. And is this regional West Coast versus East Coast, or is it the second floor of the hospital versus the third floor of the hospital? It's both. <laughs> it's both. There's some things where there, there, it does not appear to be regional differences. And then there's other areas, for example, the use of heart catheterization versus CT angiography, where there are significant regional differences. So we're finding that it's very hard to predict when physicians will come together with strong levels of consensus and in other cases where there is a, a fairly broad range of thought. I know that you asked 100 doctors about their use of HPV vaccine. Could you tell me what sort of results you obtained? About a year ago, shortly after the approval of, it, of the first HPV vaccine, we had a patient's mom who asked whether or not physicians were planning on vaccinating their own 10- or 11-year-old daughters. And we thought that that was a fabulous way to ask a question, not asking doctors about their beliefs in a generic sense, but asking them what they were planning on doing for their own daughters or their own hypothetical daughters. And it turns out that 94% of physicians were planning on vaccinating their daughters or were willing to vaccinate their daughter, depending on certain circumstances. I would like to thank Dr. Korn for joining us today and discussing his company, Ask 100 Doctors, a web-based technology that enables nearly instant access to the consensus opinion of a national board of board-certified physicians. Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly, with your host, Dr. Lawrence Stryker. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, please go to reachmd.com forward slash women's health.
This ReachMD program is featured on Sermo, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.sermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot com. When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Here is a sample of the great shows airing this week. This is Dr. Lee Friedman. Please join me this week on the Clinician's Roundtable when I'm joined by Dr. Steve Kravitz from Johns Hopkins University. He has some very interesting information and insights about the relationship between healthcare utilization and the proportion of primary care physicians in a community. This is Susan Dolan. Join me this week when my guest will be Dr. Peter Pronovo, professor at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland, discussing how he is improving health care. And I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. Join me this week when I'll be speaking with Mr. Merrill Guzner. We're going to be talking about the Massachusetts Universal Healthcare Initiative. Listen all month to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For our complete weekly guest and program guide, and to send us your comments, visit us at ReachMD.com.